0: Imagine for a moment that you're a guy married with children. You get up in the morning. You get ready for work. You're driving in your car when the stress begins to wrap around your chest like a boa constrictor. You think to yourself, how am I ever going to make enough money? Money to pay the mortgage. Money to put the kids through college. Money for retirement. Money to fix up the house the way my wife likes it. You think about the need to make money, the need to spend time with your family, and how there never seems to be enough time to do both. You begin to daydream about an earlier chapter in your life when you actually had time for yourself and the things that you like to do, but all of that has changed now, now that you have all this responsibility and and stress, and you think to yourself, there has got to be a better way to live. Or imagine this, you're the woman who's married to the guy with children, and you wake up in the morning, you hit this snooze button on your alarm for the third time, just so hard to drag yourself out of bed. You feel exhausted most of the time and with good reason, the cooking, the cleaning, driving the kids all over creation, not to mention your job. You'd like to sit down and, and talk to your husband and tell him that you need a break. But it's really hard because even though he's there, sometimes he's not there. And truth be told, you're, you're lonely and discouraged, even depressed. Life is not turning out the way you had planned and you think to yourself, there has got to be a better way to live. Or maybe you're a student. Things have been kind of crazy at school lately. Your teachers give you way too much work and your parents don't understand. They just want you to get good grades, but somehow it seems like your grades often aren't quite good enough. Besides, there are a lot of things more important than grades, like where your relationship is going with that special friend. You'd like to talk to your parents about how you feel, but they're just so wrapped up in their own world, so preoccupied, and you pretend like it's okay, but deep inside you're hurt and angry and frustrated, and you say to yourself, there has got to be a better way to live. Well, this morning we're going to begin a new Bible study series. It's called Living God's Way, because I will tell you this, there is a better way to live. This study is going to be based on a book of the Bible called First Peter, written by Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. And as I was reading that book this week, I thought, you know, basically there are three ways we can live our lives. We can live our way, we can live the way that other people tell us to live, or we can choose to live God's way. This morning, as we begin this study, we're going to focus on one really important idea about living God's way. And it is something that God wants us to live with hope. There was a man he arrived at a Little League baseball game one afternoon, and he asked a boy in the dugout what the score was. And the little boy said, Well, it's, uh, it's 18 to nothing, and we're losing. And the guy said, Man, you guys must really be discouraged. And he said, No, not at all. We haven't even been up to bat yet. <laughs> the group of Christians that Peter writes to in the first century were a group that appeared to be losing, who really needed some encouragement. You might say that the score was Nero, Eighteens, Christians nothing, Nero was a Roman emperor at the time, and he was, he was killing Christians in some very cruel ways, and they were being blamed for a fire that broke out. This was in AD 64 in the city of Rome. Peter himself was actually killed by Nero <clears throat> shortly after his letter was written. It was in these extreme circumstances that he writes this letter, not to correct any theological problems or heresy, but to give people one thing they can't live without hope. 2,000 years later, we live in a world where people desperately need hope. This week, in preparing for the message, I was looking at some of the words in Scripture for hope, and one is a Hebrew word, and it means to bind with a rope. Now, here's a picture. This is from a a water rescue that took place after the floods in Louisiana. And as I was looking at the picture this week, I was thinking about Um, What I used to do for a living when I was a firefighter and and paramedic, we were trained in underwater rescue and recovery. And one of the things that you do when you're doing a a water rescue is you tie a line around yourself, and then you have to have somebody you trust hold the other end. Now, there's a a word for this rope or this this line. It's a lifeline because you are literally trusting the other person who's holding that with your life. And there's actually a way that you communicate with a lifeline by tugging on it. If you tug one time, that means, hey, I'm fine, I'm doing great. If you tug twice, that means allow some slack, I need to go further into the water. If you tug three times, it means take up some slack. And do you know what it means when you tug four times? Yeah, help, get me out of here right now. Now, I was thinking about the fact that that's a beautiful picture of what the Hebrew nation thought of when they saw the word hope. Hope is this rope that connects them to God. God is there. They can tug on that rope and God will hear and answer and do something about their situation. Now, this morning, as we think about hope, here's the question that I want us to consider. As a follower of Jesus Christ, what do I need to remember in order to live with hope? What do we need to remember in order to live with hope? And let me say this. If you're a a spiritual seeker this morning, somebody who's checking out the claims of Christianity, I am really glad you're here. Because we're going to look at three foundational reasons that Christians live with hope. And I want you to know that these can be the same reasons that you can have as you make a decision to follow Jesus. So what is the first reason that we can live with hope? And here's the answer. God has chosen you to be a member of his family. We're going to look at a couple of verses in just a moment where Peter is going to point out that we have been chosen by God. A number of years ago, my wife and I, decided that we wanted to have a dog, another dog. Um, Our pet had passed away. And so we chose this dog to be a part of our family. And some of you know Barnabas. I've actually brought him here to church from time to time. But I was thinking about his story, and it really is kind of remarkable because we were looking for a pet. And so we went on the website of this place called Big Dog Ranch Rescue. It's in Wellington. And they had all these pictures and you can see the name of the dog and his health history and if he bites and if he's good with kids and if he likes cats and all this information. So we made a list of dogs that we were going to go check out. So my wife and I decided to go and we took our, our son John and his wife Sarah as well. Going to make this a family affair. And we get there and so I'm going down my list and I look at this dog and I look at this dog and, and I'm just thinking, man, this, there's no chemistry here. This is not the one. And so John says, hey dad, did you see the dog over here? And I said, no. He said, no, there's a really, really cool-looking chocolate lab. Go check him out. And so I asked the person who worked there, hey, can you tell me something about this dog? And they said, no, he, he just arrived last night from a kill shelter in Georgia, and we don't know his health. We don't know if he bites. We don't know if he's good with kids. We don't know anything. And I said, that's okay. I'll take him. He's the one that I want. So we took him home, and we actually gave him a different name than the one they had. We called him Barnabas because it means encourager. And that's what he does. He encourages us. But just yesterday, I was talking to Barnabas. How many of you talk to your pets? Come on. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I was talking to Barnabas, and actually his, his uh, we call it his cousin dog, Millie. Um, that's uh, our son John and Sarah have a chocolate lab, and we're watching Millie because they're, they're out of town. So Barnabas is there, and Millie's there, and I'm talking to Barnabas, and we're having this one-way conversation. Of course, Millie overhears it, and I said, Barnabas, you are one lucky dog. I mean, sometimes you probably don't realize how lucky you are because you were in a hopeless situation and then we found you. Man, we rescued you. We adopted you into our family from all the dogs at Big Dog Ranch Rescue. We chose you. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's my story. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I've been rescued. I've been adopted. I've been chosen to be a part of God's family. And that is true for every single believer. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? That God would choose us, that he would adopt us into his family. Now, here's what Peter says about this issue of being chosen. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world, reminding us that this world's not really our home, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are places um, in modern-day Turkey, just north of the Mediterranean Sea, who have been, and here's the key word, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, I want you to think about this. If you're a Christian this morning, you know that, that you're a part of God's family, how does it make you feel to know that God chose you? How does that make you feel? I was thinking this week as well about something that I experienced as a kid, and this is, well, it was a common experience Um, for kids in our neighborhood, we would go to the elementary school across the street from where we lived on Saturday mornings, and we would have these pickup games. And we only played whatever sport was in season. You played baseball in baseball season or basketball or football, whatever it happened to be. And the way that it worked is all the kids would just kind of get in a circle, and then you would choose two captains. Ever do this? And and the captains would go back and forth and choose people to be on their team. Well, I had it made because on these Saturdays, my older brother um, was always one of the captains. And so I always was a first-round draft pick because you've got to pick your little brother. Um, whether he's good or not, he's on your team. And so I never worry about getting picked last or worrying if somebody won the other team. But one Saturday, my brother wasn't there. And there's these two captains, and they don't know me, and so they're just picking, and I'm not in the first round or the second round or the third round. I'm going, oh, man, this is not good. And I thought, wow, this is how the other kids feel when they don't get picked right away or they're not picked at all. And I thought, you know, it's really interesting. When when God chooses us to be a part of his family, how should that make us feel? Valuable, special, really important. And friends, that is so important for us to realize this morning that God has chosen us to be a part of his family. And listen, if you're not a believer this morning, if you've never made a choice to follow Jesus Christ, realize this, that this very day, God invites you to become a part of his family. Now, we said that one of the reasons that a believer can live with hope, a Christian can live with hope, is because we've been chosen by God. And that raises another question. Why in the world would God choose us? Have you ever thought about that? Why did God choose me? Now, in many ways, the answer to that question is something of a mystery, but we do know this, that God didn't choose us because of our goodness. He chose us because of his grace because of His mercy. Mark Twain said this one time, he said, if heaven went by merit, your dog would get in and you would stay out. (laughs) Look at this verse from Titus. It says this, he that is God saved us, not because of the good things we did, but because of his mercy. See, God doesn't choose people because they're intelligent or good-looking or well-connected or because they volunteer at the Red Cross or build homes with Habitat for Humanity. It's not because of the good things we do. God chooses us on the basis of his mercy, which in many ways is a mystery to us. And we should realize that it's not on the basis of our goodness when we look at the kind of people that God chooses in this book. People like, like Moses, who actually was a murderer, King David, who had an affair with the wife of one of his officers and then arranged to have this guy killed. Jacob was a con artist. Rahab was a prostitute. And the list could go on and on. But you know what that list reminds us of? That no matter how many faults or failures we have, Jesus loves us. I mean, he really loves us. We just sang about it. Jesus loves you no matter how many skeletons you have in the closet, no matter how much emotional baggage you've got hanging out of your suitcase. He loves you so much that he would rather die than live without you. One time, my son John, who played high school football, had an injury. He actually broke his finger and the bone was sticking out. It was an open fracture. And we were in the emergency room and the orthopedic surgeon was taking a look at his hand and starting to manipulate it and put the bone back in place. And John looks over at me and he says, Dad, what's wrong? And I said, well, nothing's wrong, son. Everything's great. And I realized in that moment that he could read the expression on my face. And and what was happening is, man, I don't like watching my kids suffer. If you're a parent, you know that, right? I mean, his pain was my pain. And, And I thought, wow. There was a day in history where God the Father watched his son suffer. And the question is, why would God do that? And the only answer that makes any sense is because he loves us so much that he knew what that suffering would accomplish, that because of the suffering of his son, we would have the opportunity to be adopted, to be rescued, to be chosen, to be in his family. And Christian, that is something that should give us what? A four-letter word. It starts with the letter H. Hope, and it does. It gives us this great deal of hope. Now, here's the second reason that we can live with hope. Because God is at work in your life. God's at work in your life. Look at these verses, again, written by Peter to God's children, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And that's the key phrase here. Not only does God choose you to be a part of his family, he's always at work in your life, even when life is hard. Sometimes it feels like God's a million miles away. Sometimes it feels like we're all alone. But even in those times, we need to remember God is at work. Now, there's a phrase in verse 3. Peter says that we have been born again, that we have this living hope. Now, that phrase, born again, for many people, has a very negative connotation. Remember one time I was beginning classes at FAU, and I had this um, professor, who was going to be my academic advisor, and I was waiting outside his office when I heard him speaking with another student, and they were having this heated conversation, and the student just kind of burst through the door, and then I walk in, and the first thing that this professor says to me, I've never met the guy in my life, he says, I hope you're not one of those blankety-blank born-again Christians. I thought, wow, Lord, that's kind of interesting. And I said, well, by the way, I, I am, and maybe we can, we can talk about that. But by the way, who came up with that phrase, born again? You know, it wasn't a TV evangelist. It comes comes from a story in John chapter 3. Jesus is having this conversation with a religious leader. His name is Nicodemus, and he says, Nicodemus, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are what? Unless you're born again. Now, in our period in history, we use all these adjectives to describe Christians. And you probably hear this in the news. Um, You know, she's a... Bible-believing, God-fearing, evangelical, born-again Christian. And, and here, here's what's interesting. There was a, an article in the Palm Beach Post talking about different kinds of Christians. And it talked about these middle-of-the-road Christians. These are the ones who don't really have much moral convictions. And they don't get involved in politics. And they don't have positions on cultural and social issues. They're just kind of middle-of-the-road Christians. But then you have, and I'll stand over here on the right. Then you have these born-again Christians and these are the Christians who are, man, they're just intolerant. And they just are inflexible. And they just don't understand that they need to change with the times. And I read this article and it said, this was interesting as well, that God is not a Democrat and God is not a Republican. I thought, well, of course. But I thought myself, to myself as well, most of the people in the media would believe that God himself is inflexible and that God himself is intolerant because his truth never changes. It doesn't really matter what the U.S. Supreme Court decides. God's truth applies to all people in all places in all generations. And so when somebody says, are you a born-again Christian, I feel like, well, that's kind of redundant, isn't it? Because by definition, if you're a Christian, you have been what? You have been born again. Now, why is that the case? Because we come into this world physically alive and spiritually dead See, we have this heart that's defective. We're born with a heart that pulls us away from God and his purpose and his plan for our lives. And what God does because of his grace, he allows his spirit to breathe new life into us. It's sort of like spiritual CPR. And we come to life and we trust Jesus Christ. Now that's what Peter is talking about here when he talks about being sanctified. And and the reality is that when you are born again, God wants you to grow up. Every parent wants his or her child to grow up. God feels the same way about us. And one of God's favorite tools to help us grow up is trouble. And that's what what's happening to these believers in the first century. Check out this verse. It says, For a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, Peter has a a clear message for the people to whom he writes. And the message is this, even in these troubles and trials, God's at work. So don't you lose hope. Now, what is Peter's message to us 2,000 years later? It's the same thing. In all these troubles and trials, God is at work. So don't you lose hope. Here's a question. Okay, God's at work. He doesn't want me to lose hope. But what exactly is God working to accomplish? And the answer is this. He wants to purify our faith. He wants to make our faith stronger. Pastor Rick Warren said this one time. He said that people don't change when they see the light. They change when they feel the heat. And there's so much truth to that. We feel this, this heat from troubles and trials and pressure and pain. And God wants that pressure to shape our hearts to make us stronger, to make us people who really trust Him no matter what. Because when you think about it, there's a question that God is asking when life is hard. And the question is simply this, do you trust me? In this financial situation where there seems to be no answer, do you trust me? In this health issue where, where it just seems like there's no answers, do you trust me? With the situation with your husband or your children, or, or your boss at work, do you trust me? Now, how do you know that you're growing in your trust of God? How do you know that God's work is working in your life? Well, check out this, this verse as well in First Peter. And he's talking about Christians who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. And notice this phrase, grace and peace be yours in abundance. One result of God working in your life is peace. And the stronger your faith becomes, the more of God's peace that you will experience. And church, that's what I pray for you all the time, that you'll grow in your faith, and because you know God better, you'll trust him more, and that trust will result in increasing peace in your life. Now, you may be thinking, well, you know, Pastor Dudley, I appreciate you praying for me, but man, you do not know what I'm facing right now. You have no idea what's going on in my life. And you know what? It's true. I don't. I know what's happening with some of you. But I do know somebody who knows what's happening with every one of us. And that's God our Father. And if you're a Christian this morning, realize this. God has promised to hear you. And God has promised to help you. And God has promised this. No matter how hard things get, He will never leave you. And He will never forsake you. Now, remembering that should cause you to live with what? Hope. Hope. Now, let me give you one more reason that you can live with hope. And here's the third reason. Because God has secured your future. If you're a Christian this morning, you have a secure future. Now, I want to share a story with you. And let me just say, first of all, it's a fictitious story. It is not true, but it makes a point, And hopefully, it will be readily apparent. But here's the, the story. I'll give you the brief version. There's a lady who dies and she finds herself at the gate of heaven and she walks up and she sees St. Peter and she goes, oh man, I can't believe it, I finally made it home to heaven. What do I have to do to get in? And St. Peter says, well, you have to spell a word. And she says, well, what word do I have to spell? He says, you get to pick it. She goes, really? Wow, that's great. Well, I'm gonna choose the word love. That seems to be really appropriate because I love God, Um, L-O-V-E. And St. Peter says, hey, great job, come on in. So the lady's so excited because she's finally in heaven and then St. Peter says, listen, um, I need to go um, talk to one of the angels. Could you just kind of watch the gate here for a minute? And she says, oh, I'd be glad to. So St. Peter leaves and she's looking and she sees this figure of a man and she can't make out who it is at first, but he gets closer and she can't believe her eyes because it's her husband, Harvey. And she goes, Harvey? And he gets a little closer and she goes, Gladys? And she, and she said, Harvey, what are you doing here at the gate of heaven? And, and he says, oh, Gladys, listen, I was at your funeral And and I was just so brokenhearted that you had died and left me. I I wasn't paying attention. And I got in the car and I was trying to drive home and I got hit by a Mack truck. And here I am, ready to spend eternity with you. What do I have to do to get in? Gladys says, well, Harvey, you have to spell a word. And Harvey says, great, what's the word? Gladys thinks for a minute and says, "Um, Czechoslovakia. (laughs) Okay, here's the point of the story. You ready? You don't get into heaven by spelling or misspelling a word. There's only one requirement for entrance into heaven, and it is simply this faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not in yourself, not in anything or anyone else, but faith in Christ alone. Now look at this verse from verse Peter again. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. If you're a Christian, your future is guaranteed by God. remember uh, driving on the interstate one time, seeing this bumper sticker on an RV in front of me. It said, we are spending our children's inheritance. Peter says, you know what? You have an inheritance that can't be spent by anybody else. Your inheritance is entirely secure forever. Now, let me ask you this. Does that mean that I can say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow Jesus, all right? I understand that he died for me, and, and I want to be a Christian, but Jesus, I tell you what, this, this deal about, you know, living God's way, great idea, I get it, but I'm gonna live my way instead. Is that how it works? What do you think? I hope you're shaking your head, no. You that's not how it works. You see, when you're A Christian, when you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And the Bible says that what God does, he changes the desires of our heart. In fact, it says in the book of Philippians that God is at work in us, giving us the desire and ability to live a life that pleases him, a life that fulfills his purpose. Now, does that mean that we never choose to do things our way when we're Christians? What do you think? No, because there are times when we disobey God. There are times when we fall flat on our face. When we do a, a, what you might call a belly flop. A moral belly flop from the high dive of life. What do you do? You get up. And you confess to God. You say, God, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. And then you move forward in faith knowing, knowing that God is never, ever going to give up on you. That you are secure in his love and in his grace. And look at this verse. It says this in 1 Peter as well. And God… In his mighty power, will make sure that you get there. Get where? Get home to heaven safely to receive it, your inheritance, because you're trusting him. See, the reason we can know that we're going to make it home, and listen, when when I think about heaven, when I talk about heaven, sometimes people just go, oh, heaven. I guess we're going to, you know, float around on a cloud and play a harp, and I just, it doesn't sound very (laughs) exciting to me. And I remind them, you know what? The Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. There is a completely different existence. Life is going to be the way that God originally designed it. This is a great future that God's called us to, and we're not going to get there based on our performance. We're going to get there based on the mighty power of God. And friends, you think about this. There are all kinds of things that we can lose in life. Isn't that true? I mean, on this day, September 11th, we know that in a New York minute everything can change you can lose your health you can lose your money you can lose your family you can lose your dreams you can lose all kinds of stuff but there is one thing you can never lose when you're a child of God you cannot lose your relationship with Jesus Christ you are eternally secure and that should give you what yes give you hope and and I love I love this, this statement that Peter makes because think about it. Now, we've talked this morning about three things to remember to live with hope. What's the first? You're chosen to be a part of God's family. Secondly, God's at work in your life. Whether you see it or not, He's still at work. And the third thing is your future is secure. What should be our response? And here's the answer So be truly what? Glad. Be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though it is necessary for you to endure many trials for how long? Yeah, for a while. Now look at this question on your outline. It says, with whom can you share your hope? With whom can you share your hope? You realize if you're a believer that this hope is not just for you. God wants you to share it with other people. In fact, Peter says this to believers. He says, listen, Christian, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if somebody asks you about your Christian hope, and the supposition is they're going to see you living in a certain way, and they're going to say, hey, man, why do you have hope? Peter says, always be ready to do what? to explain it and how but do this in a gentle and respectful way listen I wanna ask you a really important question if you're a Christian this morning how ready are you to explain your hope I mean really the people that you work with the people in your neighborhood the people in your family what if they came to you one day and said hey you know what you seem to have a lot of hope can you tell me why I mean, what, what would you say to them? I mean, would you sit down and say, well, listen, um, here, here's the deal. I was once hopeless, but I came to understand some things that have given me new hope. And one of the things I understood is that I've got these two big problems that I can't solve. And I like to fix problems, but they're beyond my, my ability. And one is, is something that I read about in the Bible, and it's called sin. And your friend says, well, What's sin? And you say, well, it's when you live your way instead of God's way. It's, it's when you don't follow God's commands because he's told us to love him with all of our heart and mind and strength and soul and love our neighbor. And, and I just, I've failed to do that in so many ways, but everybody else has too. And when I understood that, I, I also understood that because God is holy that, that I'm separated from him. And because God is just that, that he can't just look the other way. He's got to punish my sin and that punishment is to die And to be separated from him forever. And and I heard this bad news at Boynton Beach Community Church one Sunday morning. And it began to make sense to me. And I also heard the fact that I couldn't do anything to save myself. That I really was in a hopeless and helpless situation unless God did something. And I heard this great news that, that Jesus really loves me. And that this God that the Bible describes who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus, to earth and he lived a perfect life. And then he allowed himself to be arrested and beaten and he died on a cross. And, and yeah, I know that a lot of people have died on crosses. Thousands of people have died on crosses, but his death was unique. Because he's unique. He was fully God and fully man and he died for me. He died in my place. God put my sin on Jesus and punished him in my place. And then he came back to life. And I've checked that out. That is one of the the best documented facts in all of history, this resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I understood that Jesus was saying to me, hey, you want to live a better way? You want a new life? Then come to me and admit that you're a sinner and believe that I died for you. And together, we'll pursue the life that God created you to live. But you have to make that choice. And when you do, You can live every day of your life with hope. And church, when you come to to a worship service here, I want you to always be able to hear the bad news and the good news because it is a center out of which we live. And let let me say this as well. You know, so often when I'm outside the walls of the church and I'm just out and about, you know, I could be sitting at a red light in my car. I'm looking at the people in the other cars and thinking, man, everybody has a story. I wonder if they have hope. When I'm walking through the mall, when I'm just anywhere in a, in a baseball stadium, I'm looking at these people and wondering what their story is. Because I know this, that people desperately need hope. We're people who need hope, don't we? I mean, the hope that our life can be different. Do any of you hope that your life can be different? Man, I do. I hope that my life can be better. I hope that I can be better. And we have this, this hope deep inside us that there really is a compelling purpose for our lives. This hope that, that we're not alone. That this hope that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back to this world and he's going to make everything new. He's going to keep every promise he ever made. And the question is, where in the world can you find that kind of hope? And here's the answer. Right here. Right now. Pray with me this morning. Father, we know that hope is here because Jesus is here. And God, I want to ask you this, that people here in our church family would would be willing to take the risk of inviting somebody to come to this place on a Sunday morning to hear this message of hope that can change their lives forever. And God, I pray for the person who may be this morning for the very first time is understanding that they need hope. A hope that can only be found by giving their life to Jesus. And Father, I, I just pray that in this moment, they would just say this to you in their way and in their, in their heart. God, I need you. I, I want a different life. I want a better life. I want the life you created me to live. And so God, as best I understand it, I just want to tell you that I'm sorry for all the times that I've, I've failed you. I've sinned. And because of that, I need a Savior. And today I want to trust Jesus. I believe that He died on the cross for my sins and that He came back to life and that He wants me to follow Him. And so, God, today I just make that choice. I I don't know all this means and what's going to happen down the road, but today I I want to make the choice to follow Jesus. God, you always hear that prayer. And Lord, for those of us who have made that decision to follow Christ, I pray this morning that this message would encourage us, that it would enable us to go out of these doors and have a heart that is filled with hope. And Lord, I pray that this last song would just be a testimony to the fact that our hope is in Christ alone. For we pray in His name. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing together.